I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you're a visitor this morning, you have caught us at a good time. We're only four verses into the book. So you have caught us at the beginning of a series, and hopefully you are so and your heart is so encaptured by this book, you'll come back and be with us again as we continue through this series. Uh, at College Street Baptist Church, we don't have big flashy um, sermon series. I'm just not clever enough to do that. And so we just preach through books of the Bible and hope and pray that the Holy Spirit uh, captivates you in a way that my own creativity will not. <laughs> so turn with me to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one in the pew rack in front of you. You can turn to page 1259 and you'll find our text there this morning. And I would encourage you, especially with the topic we're going to be dealing with today, that you would turn in your Bible so that you can see these truths in black and white. These are weighty matters that concern every single one of us this morning. The book of Revelation tells us in chapter 20 that a judgment day awaits every human being, small and great. And John tells us in that book that on that day, as we stand before the Almighty Creator, the books will be opened. And in those books are recorded all of the things that we have done on this earth. And John tells us we will be judged by what is written in the books according to what we have done. And that's the day that Paul is going to be talking to us about this morning to the Thessalonians in his second letter. The day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day when every man, every woman, every child, every human being is going to stand before the throne of God above and will behold the justice of God. As we've heard from Romans chapter 3 this morning, on that day, every one will declare God to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word as it warns and encourages us this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated.
hopefully you heard it occur several times there, this concept of justice. In fact, this word, the root for the word justice, appears four times throughout the eight-verse section that we've just read. And each time Paul uses it, he's highlighting a slightly different aspect or a different facet of the justice of God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Four different facets or aspects of God's justice. We're going to see the certainty of God's justice. The fairness of God's justice. The timing of God's justice. And finally, this morning, the comfort. So let's look at the first facet, the certainty of God's justice. If you were here with us last week, you should be able to recall from verses 3 and 4 how Paul talks about the Thessalonians and he celebrates them and he says, I've been boasting about you and all the other churches that I go to about how you are remaining steadfast in your faith even though you're suffering great affliction for the name of Jesus. And here in verse 5, Paul says this, the fact that you are remaining steadfast in faith in the face of affliction, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So here the word justice is translated in our Bibles as righteous. The righteous judgment, the just judgment of God. And this is why first we see the certainty of God's justice because justice is righteous, justice is congruent with, issues forth from the perfect, upright character and nature of God. God is just. Therefore, righteous judgment, judgment that proceeds forth from the very nature of the unchangeable God, is one day coming. There will be a day when the books are open and the accounts are settled. No debt will go unpaid. No sin will go unpunished. No act of injustice will go unrighted because of the very nature of our righteous God. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the astounding paradox of the gospel is that God does not lay aside his justice in order to forgive us of our sins. That is an astounding truth. How could he do that? How can he forgive sin and still remain just? In fact, it is impossible for God to lay aside his character, his righteousness. He cannot act contrary to righteousness. He cannot act outside of righteousness because it is the very nature of God to only act in ways that are righteous. Therefore, if he is going to admit into his kingdom law-breaking, sinful, rebellious people like you and me, if he somehow is going to make that happen, he's going to have to do it in a way that is perfectly just in every way, that does not leave a single jot or tittle of his law unfulfilled or let a single act of law-breaking slide. 
Because the justice of God is as certain as his character. We do not set aside justice in order to become a Christian. We don't have to violate that innate sense that we feel that we want to see justice enacted in our world. We don't have to set that aside in order to become a Christian. We don't have to simply just discover contentment in the fact that this world is full of oppression, injustice, sin, and affliction, and nothing will ever be done about it. What we do have to do is wait patiently because we believe in the certainty of God's justice. That as surely as our sins, we believe were completely and justly done away with on the cross. That all of those who sin against the saints of God and all the injustice that is suffered in this world for those who bear the name of Jesus Christ, that one day all injustice will be made to bow the knee before Jesus Christ, the just king. There's a day that one day every human being will stand before the Lord and either be granted entry or denied entry into the kingdom of God. I wonder what evidence you see in your life of how things will go for you on that day. Paul says that suffering for the sake of the kingdom, he says, this is evidence for you of how things will go for you on that day when you seek entry into his kingdom. God brings us through immense suffering in order to show us how strong he is holding on to us, to show us just how firmly his grasp is upon those who belong to him. Brothers and sisters, our worthiness to enter the kingdom of God, we're going to talk about later in this sermon, our justification is not dependent on our steadfastness through trial. But let me tell you something, it is proved by it. No, our justification doesn't hang on our ability to continue steadfastly through trial, but our justification is proved. The evidence is shown as we continue steadfastly in faith, trusting in the certainty of God's justice. Secondly, we come to the fairness of God's justice. My children are the fairness police in our home. This is the way things usually work. One of them comes into the kitchen and asks for some kind of snack. It might be string cheese or apple slices or a cookie or something. If they end up procuring that, guess what the first thing they do is? They go in the other room and parade it around in front of their siblings. And then what happens? One by one, they all come in and what do they want? The exact same thing that was given to their brother or sister. Why? Well, that's not fair that they get one and I don't get a cookie. That they got, a, got an apple and I didn't, right? A child's mind assumes a fair universe. If one of us gets a cookie, we all get a cookie. That's the way things ought to work. Kids understand innately that there ought to be the same standard across the board. Fairness. And the good news of the gospel is that there is a fairness to the justice of God. God's justice is, in fact, quite fair. Look at verse 6 with me. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, 
and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Paul says God considers it just to repay. This is the fairness of God's justice. When Jesus returns, everyone will be repaid according to what he has done. If you were to invest your money month after month, and you're putting your money into this mutual fund for years, into your retirement account, and then after decades of investing your money, you come to your portfolio manager, what would you expect for him to give you in return? What if you went to your, uh, you, you end your retirement party and you get ready to go in and dip into your retirement savings and your portfolio manager says, good news, all of the money that you've put into this portfolio has earned you this, a lifetime supply of hot dogs. You have waiting for you a storehouse filled with cotton candy. Would you be happy? No, you would not. You keep paying forward money because what do you expect to receive back at the end? Money, right? That's what you're expecting to be repaid in. You paid money in, you expect to be repaid, hopefully with more money than what you put in. So what return are you expecting on all of the sin that you keep paying forward day after day after day after day? For the evil thoughts of your mind, the evil intentions of your heart, the evil words of your mouth, the evil actions of your body. What do you think the fair market is going to return to you on that last day? Indeed, God considers it just fair to repay with affliction those who afflict. Isn't that fair? Why should God have regard for you when you have your entire life had no regard for him? Isn't it fair if you have not regarded him for him not to regard you? This isn't God being petty. This is God just simply repaying you for what you have paid him. You have no regard for God. You have not obeyed his king. Why should he have regard for you or allow you into his kingdom? It's fair. Quite fair. But brothers and sisters, this is the good news for those of us who have become followers of Jesus, who suffer for the sake of his kingdom and his name. When you suffer unjustly, when you are treated unfairly, when you are afflicted for the name of Jesus Christ, the promise of God's justice is that fairness will be meted out one day. They will be repaid, but guess what? The good news is God will repay you with rest, respite, for being robbed of that rest in this life. Are you tired of suffering, Christian? Are you tired of affliction? Cry out for the return of Jesus Christ because when he comes back, believe that he is going to bring rest for your soul. 
Suffering helps us long for the return of Jesus. It helps us not to love this world and to long for his return. On the day of judgment, no one will be able to accuse God of being unfair, that's for sure. Each one of us will get exactly what we have cried out for. The standard will be the same for everyone. For the rich, for the poor, for the oppressed and the oppressor, for the white, for the black, for the brown, for any color, for the old and for the young, for the Christian and non-Christian alike, there will be one fair standard against which we will all be measured. And do you know what it is? Do you know who it is? Jesus Christ. Everyone who is as righteous as Jesus Christ will be admitted into God's kingdom, and that will be the standard across the board for all of us. He's the measuring stick. If you want to know what kind of repayment to expect from the fairness of God's justice, you need only ask yourself this question, am I as righteous as Jesus Christ? Go read the Gospels. Do you measure up to that standard? Have you lived that way? Loved people that way? Submitted to God's will in such perfection? There's something very karmic about the day of the Lord. You know, they say payback is a B word. No, it's not. Payback is a dude. Payback has a name and it's Jesus Christ. And he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. None of us can measure up to Jesus which is exactly the point. That's the fairness of God's justice. He doesn't bend the standard for Christians. And that's why when our Lord Jesus was walking this earth, he was preaching everywhere, repent and believe in the gospel. And this, friends, is not simply a suggestion. Repent and believe the gospel is not merely an offer. Repent and believe the gospel, Paul says, is a matter of obedience this is a command from your king saying you have no hope on the day of the fairness of God and his justice other than to turn away from your sins and believe that somehow you can receive that standard of righteousness apart from your trying to do a bunch of good things to please God. The fairness of God's justice is good news to those of us who have obeyed the gospel because the gospel of our Lord Jesus says that if we turn away from our sins and we admit the truth that I'm a lawbreaker, that in my own power I will never measure up to God's standards. And if we have believed that God for some reason, really his, only his love, grace, and mercy sent his own son to live righteously in our place, to die under the curse of sin in our place, to suffer all the vengeance that the fairness of God demands against our sin. And if we live in submission to the Lord Jesus as our Savior and Lord today, the Bible says that that belief, that faith, is credited to our account as righteousness. The very righteousness of Jesus himself if we will repent and believe, is put into our account so that on the day of God's fairness, guess what? Those of us who believe, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we will meet the standard, the fair standard that God holds to everyone. And we celebrate because there is nothing that we need to add. There is nothing that we can add 
to the righteousness of Jesus. And this righteousness we receive as a gift is the standard by which we will one day be judged. Amen. Praise God for the fairness of his justice. Our third point this morning deals with the timing of God's justice. Look with me at verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he, the Lord Jesus, comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to marvel at, be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. In the Old Testament book of Esther, if you know the story, there's a wicked politician by the name of Haman. And he grows this hatred for one of his co-workers named Mordecai, who always seems to get the better of him. And it happens to be that Mordecai is a Jew. And so Haman, being the smart guy that he is, decides, you know what, I hate this one guy. I want to exterminate his entire people. And so he hatches this plan and he tricks King Xerxes into making a decree that uh, on a certain day, every Jew in my kingdom is going to be executed. And King Xerxes, he signs the decree and he goes off to have brunch while the rest of the kingdom burns down. Everyone is freaking out because he's, basic, he's just declared the total extermination of the Jewish nation. Mordecai finds out about it, and he starts texting Esther, and he's like, have you heard what's happening? And Esther's like, no, what's going on? And he's like, well, we're all going to be killed. And she's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? And he's like, well, you're the only one who can do anything about it. You need to go talk to the king. And she texts back and says, are you crazy? He's going to kill me. And Mordecai texts back and says, are you crazy? He's going to kill all of us if you don't do something about it. And so Esther repeats back. She says, don't you know what the rule is in this kingdom? Listen to me. Everyone knows this rule. If any man or woman goes to the king, enters into his inner court without being summoned, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds his scepter out to. That is the only person who will live. That is a picture of what it's going to be like when we try to gain entrance into the presence of God and the presence of his king, Jesus, on the day of judgment. You see, because it's not really going to be about us trying to enter into the presence of Jesus, he himself is going to be, bring his presence and his throne down to earth. He will set up court here. And only those to whom the king extends his scepter have any chance of living. All others, Paul says, will be cast out of the presence of God, thrown out of his courtroom to suffer the just punishment of eternal destruction. This is the timing of God's justice when Jesus comes and establishes his eternal kingdom on this earth. On the day when all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, we can know that God's justice will reign from that day forth and forevermore. And this can only mean one thing for sinners like you and me, that today is the day for you to obey the gospel. Listen to what verse 10 promises again to those who believe in Jesus 
when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. Friends, our culture will tell you that what you need more than anything else in today's world is fairness. You need fair wages. You need fair laws. You need fair treatment in your workplace. Listen to me. You will have fairness either in this life or the next, but the thing that you need today more than anything else is not fairness. What you need is mercy from God Almighty. You need to be able to enter the presence of the Lord Jesus with your head bowed and fall at his feet and beg and plead with him for mercy rather than fairness. Knowing that you deserve eternal punishment for your sins, but in mercy you plead with him by some means, by his blood alone, and he would forgive you of all of your offenses against his kingdom. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for mercy, because on the day that Jesus returns, there will be justice served. We've seen the certainty of God's justice, that it is his nature to be righteous. And so we can trust that in the end, justice will prevail. We've seen the fairness of God's justice, that each one will be repaid according to what he has done, that all of us are going to be measured against the same standard. We've seen the timing of God's justice, that every wrong will be righted at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But fourthly and finally, we need to see the comfort, the comfort, believe it or not, of God's justice. This is the unexpected turn that Paul's chapter takes in verses 11 and 12. All this talk about wrath and destruction and just punishment, and yet Paul expects believers to hear these things and to be comforted in the depths of our souls about these truths. Look at verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things I think ought to bring us comfort this morning about God's justice. Paul prays that our God may make us worthy of his calling. Now, who knows the standard by which he is going to judge the living and the dead? God himself. And who is the one that Paul is praying will make us worthy to enter into that kingdom? God himself. A righteous God cannot allow unrighteous sinners to do their best to make themselves qualified to enter his kingdom. If we're going to be made righteous, guess who has to do that for us? God does. Isn't that a great comfort? Paul says, quit it. You can't do it. But guess what? I'm praying that God will do it for you. That he will make you righteous. That's what the word justified means. To be declared righteous in the presence of God. And according to Paul here in 2 Thessalonians, we are justified, we are declared righteous in the throne room of God before the judgment seat of Christ 
Not based on the things that I do, but based on something that God has done for me. And what has God done? Paul tells the Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what he's done. Friends, let us be comforted this morning by the justice of God. A justice that is not satisfied to just let us do our best. This is where we find rest in knowing that we cannot do anything more to make ourselves more worthy to enter the presence of God. This is what frees us. Not to make justification our objective in doing good, but the glory of Jesus our objective in every act of good, in every deed of faith. Because we just want Jesus to be glorified and esteemed and made known in our lives. So may we have greater resolve for good and greater desire to do acts of faith because we're depending not on our own power but on the same power that has set us free from sin in the first place. So we're comforted by God's justice in that God alone can justify Secondly, we are comforted by God's justice in that he justifies sinners by grace. Look at verse 12 again. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. It's a free gift. God gives us full satisfaction of his justice Andrew Fuller writes, The truth is, though eternal life be the gift of God, yet eternal death is the proper wages of sin. Friend, may you not be found too proud to accept the gracious gift of God. May you not be found so proud that you just want to try your hardest to please God on your own. May you not be so proud as to demand fairness rather than to accept forgiveness. May you not be so proud as to demand your wages rather than to accept the gift of God. We've heard it this morning already. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. That's how we have to receive it. May we be comforted, brothers and sisters, in the fact that only by his grace as a gift will we ever fulfill God's justice. This past week, a county councilwoman was sworn into office in St. Louis County. It's a very uninteresting, unnewsworthy item. But for some reason, this woman, Kelly Dunaway, made the Washington Post with this headline last week. And I think you'll understand why it made headline news when I read it to you. Why a county councilwoman was sworn into office on a Dr. Seuss book. So, not being a religious person herself, Kelly Dunaway chose to be sworn in on a copy of Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Particularly because she felt it had an inspiring message. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Now, it's understandable Dunaway received some backlash and criticism 
for the choice of her book, since traditionally politicians, whether Christian or non-Christian, have been sworn in putting their hand on the Bible, right? Her response was, I understand it, she said. A lot of people believe that without God, there can be no morality. And I just don't agree with that. And you know what? I think that to the point she's trying to make, Councilwoman Dunaway is kind of on the right track. When she, what she means is that you don't have to believe in God to have some sense of morality as a person. There are plenty of moral people out there who don't believe in God. I think we would all admit that. But the very fact that people agree there is such a thing as morality points to the existence of a moral and just God. It's not an accident of evolution that nearly every person in the history of the world agrees it is wrong to take the life of another human being. Or why we sense a, a, feel a sense of un, injustice when someone deceives or lies to us. Or why we all think, even in a culture so promiscuous as our own, that adultery is wrong. That bearing false witness or stealing another person's property is wrong. It's not a byproduct of natural selection that human beings have this deeply ingrained hunger for fairness. We want all men and women to be held to the same standard. We feel a sense of outrage when we feel like justice bends for the rich and the powerful. That certain people live by different rules than the rest of us. Why do we all hunger and thirst for justice in this world? Why do we want to live in a just world? Paul tells us that even when we cry out for justice without God, we cannot help but reflect the justice of God. We show that the work of the law is written on our heart, while our conscience also bears witness. Our, our conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse us on that day when, according to Paul's gospel, we have heard it this morning, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. I wonder what secrets will be revealed in your heart on that day when you're measured against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's striving in their own power, I pray they would give up and throw themselves on the mercy of the court. Lord Jesus, you are so merciful and gracious to us. God, Father, how can we ever understand that you would give your son to have us? And yet you have. We thank you that you have not bent justice, but that it will be served, that every act of oppression and affliction will one day be repaid. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be comforted that you are a just king. We pray that you would come back soon and grant us rest and peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.